Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today I'm joined by Riki and Sarah Hayashi as we're getting back to Star Wars Rebels. We're talking about Season 1, Episodes 3, 4, and hopefully Episode 5, depending on how long we take discussing the other two. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. Back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as I said, by Riki and Sarah. We're going to be getting back into kind of the regular covering Rebels, hopefully pretty much, not exactly every week, but pretty close, trying to get as much of Rebels in as we can before we start the Book of Boba in December. Uh, how are you two doing today? Good. Always excited for Rebels. Always. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, what's kind of your overall thought in the three episodes we're going to uh, dive into today? Um, I mean, they're good. It's very good yeah. television. I guess I have some questions, concerns about like why are we getting these characters, certain characters, mm-hmm. so early on in the series? Right. Yeah, I'm just I'm excited to talk about the the fun throwbacks that we're seeing, and yeah, like I love all of Rebels. These these episodes are no except are no exception to that. Um, yeah. yeah. How about you? <clears throat> In some ways, I feel like these episodes are the best test of why I like this show so much because, you know, when we did The Clone Wars, we talked about how there are some amazing episodes, really good episodes, but then there's some kind of eye-rolly ones that you got to get through. Mm -hmm. Episodes like the ones that we did today are probably not any of them on my favorites list. You know, I think these are kind of, each of them drops some interesting things into the story, but they're pretty forgettable episodes, I think, in a lot of ways. And the fact that, like the bottom tier maybe or the middle tier of episodes of the show are still quite good is to me just a very like, okay, yeah, this is, this is the show that has just a very strong amount of consistency across the board. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really fair. I mean, um, other shows, you know, some people advise that you skip the entire first season or something. And and actually like our friend who recommended this show, not you, uh, another friend did say that it started off slow and, we just didn't have that experience. And I think, yeah. yeah, these episodes overall, if you look at the entire series, are are on the weaker end. But they're still not bad. Yeah, the, yeah. Bar, is, the bar is high for Rebels. Yeah. And I yeah. think, like, the, the, the skippable first season, like, for me, Next Gen, Star Trek Next Generation, always comes to mind for that. Because the first two mm-hmm. seasons are quite bad. But the rest of the show is good. So, like, having a skippable first season I don't think necessarily makes for a bad show. But oh, for sure. it's just nice that, yeah, they're, that that's not really even necessary with Rebels here. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into the episodes themselves. We start first with um, droids in distress. And we all know how much the three of us love droid episodes. Uh, said with a bit of sarcasm, because Sarah is very much a droid fan, <laughs> I think. I did a little dance. Riki and I can be at somewhat different points. And uh, let me just give you a quick plot summary. The episode features the crew of the Ghost intercepting a shipment of weapons intended for the Galactic Empire. Along the way, they inadvertently pick up C-3PO and R2-D2, who are on a secret mission from Senator Bail Organa to prevent the weapons from falling into Imperial hands. The Rebels continue to be chased by Agent Collis of the Imperial Security Bureau, while Gerazeb Aurelius, better known to us as Zeb, deals with grief over the near extinction of his people. In the end, R2-D2 provides Organa, who will become one of the founders of the Alliance to Restore the Republic, with information about the Rebels and their activities. So what's kind of your overall thoughts on this episode? I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, I like droid episodes. No surprise, Uh I liked this episode. I I loved the, um, like, not throwbacks, the, like, nods we got to uh the ride at disneyland star tours yeah um which yeah was just super fun and that we get this instant throwback to two very beloved staples of the series r2 and 3po um while still focusing on like our our core cast of characters here in well like this yeah episode three but one and two i think were shown as like a a really mm-hmm. long <clears throat> first episode as we talked about right. last time yeah yeah i i think i am i i i'm always happy to see c3po and r2d2 just because like i enjoy those characters this is much more a problem with the prequels but like there's just so much that we're 
were showing those droids happen that it doesn't make any sense that they didn't remember that by the time we get to the New Hope movies. That, like, I, I think I would have preferred if it had been some other droids, but I felt like the series needed to do things to hook like the Star Trek, Star Wars viewers, you know, it's like to have a little like, yes, don't worry. We are going to be pretty keyed into stuff from the, the, the movies that you know and love. And so that, I think for me, that wasn't my favorite part. It, it kind of maybe questioned some things, but yeah, in the end, not a, not a huge deal. And w- the idea of like, well, but why were C-3PO and R2-D2 knowing this? Well, we already have that question in spades right now. Yeah. Well, and, and like, I buy into the idea that, like, 3PO's had his memory wiped a few times, at mm-hmm. least, and, like, R2 knows everything and is saying stuff with his beeps and whistles that just we don't understand. Um, so it's, like, it's easy for me to, like, hand wave away the fact that, like, mm-hmm. these two are everywhere. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree that we kind of need, like, um, an anchor to to hold us onto the Star Wars universe and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, build around. Yeah, so the problem I have here is, is yeah, introducing 3PO and R2 as this hook. I, For me, at least, they are not, like, beloved enough to, mm-hmm. to draw me in in this way. Um, especially for, like, this this franchise. There, there are yeah. other characters that they bring in from, you know, Clone Wars or from the movies that they get that gasp like oh my god it's it's that character and, and you know we'll talk about those in the future right but mm. these two are just not central enough mm-hmm. for me i mean oh sarah's making a gasping face what i mean <laughs> is like for in terms of the the galactic conflict right mm-hmm. they have always just been sidekicks that are there like they do important things and there's this argument that R2-D2 is the living embodiment of the Force because, as you said, his memory is not erased. He knows everything and seems to, like, be in the right place at the right time, quote-unquote, accidentally, like, saving the day. <laughs> 3PO I am very much less enthused about, especially in this episode because as we get into it, they seem to have not told him the mission. Would you tell 3PO the mission? And he just, like, bumbles about. Yeah, he's R2-D2 sidekick. <laughs> I don't know. The fact that, like, th- 3PO introduces R2 as, like, my counterpart, R2-D2, like, yeah, 3PO is, like, the the, the kid yeah. that mom told th- R2 to be nice to and drag around to parties. 3- 3PO mm-hmm. is, like, Inspector Gadget. <clears throat> yes. And yeah. R2 is, is Penny and, and Brain actually solving the cases. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's fair. I, <clears throat> I think for me part of it is that this show has introduced Chopper who is in and of himself such an interesting character as a droid that mm-hmm. I kind of feel like less of a need for these characters. Um, and I think it especially feels weird because in some ways, like when I think of this episode, what I think about are all that we learn about Lasat and about the Lasat, Zeb's people and, mm-hmm. and Zeb himself and uh, Agent Callus's role in that. Um, we're going to get introduced to Senator Bail Organa, who Organa, who um, if you're a fan of the prequels, you might remember that's the role that Jimmy Smits was playing, and certainly he's a big part of the Clone Wars as one of the senators who is not really down with things, and um, he kind of has to escape the Jedi Temple, uh, but is clearly not happy about what's happening, uh, and we know that he's the one who takes uh, Leia uh, and raises her, hence her becoming the Princess of Alderaan. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Which, which I knew what his... I don't quite understand the royal family of Alderaan, but that's not for this story. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, there's... I kind of forget that, like, actually the art, the episode is kind of about C-3PO and R2-D2 bumbling their way through these adventures when all they really care about is the adventures that are happening. I don't really know if I agree that it's about them. Like, ostensibly, I think if you were to be like, hey, hey, yeah, here, it's like 3PO and R2-D2 are doing stuff. And then there's this other thing going on in the background. But I think it's kind of, like, when you think about it, it's the opposite. Like, they're there as this sort of loose framework that we can kind of, like, build off of. But they're not the main story. And, yeah, like, we don't don't follow them around afterwards. We don't get to see what Mm -hmm. happens once they get returned to Bail Organa or anything like that. They're just, like, I don't know. It's it's like a fun cameo. Mm -hmm. So in terms of cameo... What really oh. excited me much more <laughs> was the pilot droid of the, the starship that they are on. Uh, it's RX-24, and as, as Sarah mentioned earlier, this is this whole episode is kind of based around the Star Tours ride, 
and yeah. the the droid RX twenty four is the pilot droid of the original ride, and the voice actor for that ride it reprises the role here, and it's Paul Rubens, aka Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> Which is yeah. just a fascinating thing to have in Star Wars, right? I, have you all gone on that ride? Yes, multiple times. Well, it's changed. I, yeah, yeah, well, I've, yeah. Been, like, I've been on the old version yeah. and the new version, yeah. Yeah, I went on it once probably 30 years ago, mm. 25 years ago. Um, when I was a kid, like it was like 16, 17, or maybe even earlier than that when I went to California and Disneyland. And so I, I imagine it was the old version, but I, I I didn't put together that it was the same voice because you don't remember that, but I definitely got that feel. And, and I'm not surprised at all to realize it's the same person. Yeah, I it, I think it's 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 really fun that they got um, the yeah. same actor. That's super cool. But yeah, even just having that sort of premise of like, welcome to Star Tours. Um, yep. This is the model of droid at the very least. Who's going to be piloting this right. model of ship? Yeah. So let's talk about um, some of the big uh, plot points that kind of come up here. So first of all, um, we learn about Zeb and we learn that his people, the Lasat, were almost completely decimated. Basically, kind of, it seems kind of like the Alderanians or the Alderanians. I don't know how you say that. Yeah. The people from Alderaan, you know, the, the people who are not on world, the offworlders lived, but the planet itself was pretty much wiped out. And we learned that Agent Callus was actually like the person who was in charge of that. Yeah. Um, and like last time we were saying like, okay, he seems like kind of a fun guy, even though he's an Imperial, but then in the end he like kicks a stormtrooper off a ledge and kills him. And we're like, okay, so he's not perfect. <laughs> now we've moved from like, he killed one stormtrooper to like genocidal yeah. maniac, you know? I mean, this is like a dark man. Yeah, I think like fun is an interesting adjective in that like I still <laughs> think he's fun. But not in a, like, I don't think he's a good person, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, he's an interesting character. I really like the character as far as, like, like, I'm really interested in the character and seeing where he goes. I think he's very well developed. But yeah, not not someone Mm -hmm. I'd want to, like, pal around with or anything like that. Yeah, this continues to add to his menace Mm -hmm. as the primary antagonist to this point. For sure. I, I think, at least for me, I think it kind of confirmed it. Like, after the first couple episodes, especially watching him with the Inquisitor, I, I kind of had the feeling of him as kind of a cog in the machine who wanted, like, order and thought he was doing what was best. But maybe he isn't thrilled about the excesses of the Empire. and Maybe he's going to be a little bit of our, you know, sympathetic character within the Empire. Nope. <laughs> That's certainly not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely a, a major player within, or at least has influence um, mm-hmm. within the Empire, especially uh, on Lothal, which is the planet that we, we seem to be centering around. Right. It's um, Ezra's home planet. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. And the fact that he, he's taken a weapon of, was it like the Lasat Royal Guard? I think um, so, yeah. And is using is using that and like Zeb recognizes like you're not there's like an emotional significance to that weapon um it's not just like picking up a random sword like you need to be able to earn it um and Callus is using it Zeb calls him out and he's like oh I know I took it when I murdered all your friends and family mm-hmm. um yeah which yeah, is it's called a bow rifle bow rifle yeah thanks. right which I I think is He's obviously a different character, but Zeb is somewhat of a Chewy Chewbacca stand-in, and mm. and Chewbacca has the crossbow rifle, the the bowcaster, I think it's called. And so okay. I think it's, I do think that that is very intentional that he has a similar kind of a weapon. Yeah, well, they make the the joke in um, <clears throat> one of the first two episodes about him being a hairless Wookiee, and like yeah, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> exactly. he he is sort of like he's the muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Which I guess Chewbacca was as well. And I feel like this is also an important moment for him because till now all we've really learned about him is that he's the kind of grumpy one who was kind of willing to let Ezra behind and doesn't seem like as welcoming to Ezra as everyone else. And I feel like getting this side of him and understanding like just how much pain and trauma he's been through and why and why he's in this fight um, and, and maybe has the kind of most cynical attitude of everyone on the crew, like it really fills in his character a lot. Yeah. So, okay, um, I guess getting into the plot a little bit, right? Like, the 
the weapons that they are trying to stop from going to the Imperials, didn't those also have something to do with the destruction of Lasat? Or am I making that up? Yeah. Disruptors, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's like part of it. Which I guess like um like R2D2 and uh, like our cast of characters both have a similar objective, which is prevent these disruptors from getting into Imperial hands. Right. right. It's just like <laughs> Uh, the rebels want to sell them to a third party so that they can uh, get a few credits to help along right. along the way. Um, yeah, whereas R2, D2, and 3PO want to just return them to bail <laughs> or destroy right. them, right? Um, and I think that's the other thing that I, kind of moving along a little bit that I really love about this episode is that we now have, like, until now all we knew is that, like, this one group of people on this one ship was trying to, like, harass the uh, Empire a little bit. Yeah. And now we at least know that, like, there's some larger groups who are kind, like, Ghost is a little connected to them, but not really. But, like, there's some other groups out there that are doing similar kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a more concerted effort than than just these folks, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure, yeah. Although, like, the Rebels don't learn about Bale. They, they never right. meet or hear. Well, they meet, but they don't get his name, right? Yeah, we the audience find out about it. But. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, and so they, they end up blowing up the disruptors as a way of taking down some of the walkers that are coming towards. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're, this, this is in this conflict where Zeb and Callus are arguing with the boat rifle and fighting each other, blow up some disruptors to get rid of some chicken walkers. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah, Ezra ends up using the force to push back Callus and save Zeb. Um, which is neat because we haven't seen, like, we've seen Ezra, like, open the holocron, and, Mm -hmm. but we haven't seen him, like, use the force in this way before. And I think, like, Zeb thanks, um, Freddie Prince Jr. (laughs) I just Uh banged on his name. Um, Kanan, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks Kanan for it. And Kanan's like, not me. It was this Mm -hmm. kid who you wanted to leave behind. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the yeah, it's, there's some great plot moments there and it's further development with the characters. I think one of the reasons why I got so excited about Organa, Organa and the Rebels showing up is I, I love the beginnings of things, you know, and mm. especially one of the things that I think is most interesting is a story about when this empire is so overwhelmingly powerful and, you know, resistance has been pretty much crushed. How is it that, like, the one or two little people who start to think maybe there could be something different find each other and inspire each other and start to build something and it becomes something? And so this, to me, was like, oh, maybe we're actually going to get to kind of see the formation of the Rebel Alliance uh, in some way or another. So I think it was just like that. It was one more thing where this episode was like, okay, cool. I am. I'm, I really like where this show is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like that we're seeing it sort of tangentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about the, and then we also meet two characters, Minister Tua and Governor Price. Um, what were your kind of thoughts on those two? Yeah, so these are um, political officials of Lothal, mm-hmm. um, who are like, yeah, in, in the Empire's pocket, pretty much. Um. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, it's good to see women in Star Wars <laughs> in general. Mm. Yep. Uh, but also, like, specifically women in positions of power within the empire because the original you know trilogy a new hope through return of the jedi just showed so much of like this white male centric thing and that's become Mm -hmm. kind of the lore of star wars and the empire that they are a, a human supremacist organization and that the rebel alliance is like this group of all of the the other alien species Mm-hmm. Um, but there have, has also been criticism, you know, about the misogyny of the empire and, and not having women in positions, and that's been written about a lot in uh, legends, uh, right? Specifically with the character of, of Admiral Dalla, who was like one of the few women to rise to the position of admiral. Um, and so to see Governor Price, you know, a, a governor of this entire planet. And then Minister Tua as well, like I think, is is very important for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Yeah, I, I think I I like I like that they're women. 
I like that. I like just kind of getting to see more of the bureaucracy because it's kind of the other side of the um, what I was saying about the formation of the rebels. Like for so much of the Star Wars movies, we only are really seeing what's happening at the very top level. You know, we hear references to the Senate that gets devolved, dissolved, and then of course is still in the prequels. We, you know, uh, they make reference to the gov- the imperial governors will now have power. But we never actually really see how, how that happens. And right. I just really interested in seeing, especially because we have these two different figures, you know, seeing how they're going to interact with each other. And there's a great, like, very funny set of scenes about um, the the minister not being able to translate with a, the, I think it's a Celestin who she's mm-hmm. working with. Um, and and the chopper tried, uh, Chopper and Sabine trying to, like, help uh, translate and in so doing, you know, stealing their plans and, and mucking them around. So it, it was a really fun episode for that, but also just I love that, like, yeah, there's a bureaucracy. That's how you have to run an empire. Yeah, and I like, I like the, the mucking about part, right? Like, we get to see yet another wacky plan in mm-hmm. the world of Star Wars go off flawlessly, where, like, Chopper and Ezra make a commotion, which prompts the pilot to say, okay, all droids to the back of the bus, including 3PO, mm-hmm. your translator droid. And then Sabine saying, like, oh, I'm a I'm a young Imperial Academy student and I can translate for you. I got this. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It, real fun. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I also like, I don't know, the idea of like, from a outside perspective of I'm glad there are more women in power mm-hmm. in media. I think it's good. I also, it's weird to say it about the Empire, right? Because, like, they're, they're the baddies. So right. them being misogynist doesn't necessarily rub me the wrong way in that, like, we can hold it up there to critique it and, like, have it be right. this, like, yeah, the Empire is this misogynist, racist agency. They are mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the the criticism of the misogyny is, has been less about the empire and more about the creators of star sure. Wars, just yeah. not putting enough people in those positions mm-hmm. and not having them visible. And, so. and kind of the idea that like, you know, Oh, but like they're like the women should be the good guys in this, you yeah. know, like, which is like, it, it, it's on the one hand, like, you know, it's not that we want like, um, I'm just yeah, just it, it just is one more kind of like sexist assumption there. But yeah, I also agree with you that it's, it's one of those like, oh, yay, diversity of terrible people. Um, good, good, like, you know, but yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Seeing, just seeing it, like more women in roles, great. But yeah. I, yeah, the idea of the Empire not having women in leadership roles also does not rub me the wrong way as long as we're getting that representation elsewhere in the series. And yeah, like I'm not necessarily saying that like ah yes women have to be the good guys and we can only portray them in positive light like we can have fun Mm -hmm. female baddies too it's just like yeah i don't i don't think necessarily the empire needs to be an egalitarian organization (laughs) yeah that's fair all right uh any other last comments on that should we move on to the second episode just want to add you know watching this relationship between governor price and the minister will be interesting going forward because the you know governor in, in our world we think of as a you know a government position but in mm-hmm. star wars in the empire it's actually kind of a pseudo military position right you know tarkin is referred to both as grand moff and governor so it, it is still like a part of the imperial military hierarchy, so it's not a civilian position, where I believe the right. minister is. And like I think we also introduced the senator for the sector later on, which is a civilian and, position. And I think that is, it, it's a, you know, our use of the word governor as like a, an elected political official is actually <clears throat> somewhat newer. Mm-hmm. You know, in like the 18th and 19th centuries, especially, and, and well, even into the 20th, mm-hmm. for a lot of like empires, especially the British, I know, but I think there's probably a translated version similar to governor in other languages. But, you know, like India had a governor general and right. like the Bahamas had a governor and like different African colonies had a governor who were all English people appointed by Britain to like help rule over the local authorities, you know? And so, yeah, to me, that's very much the energy I get. I think you're right. It's, it's, it's a very good point. Like this is not... It might be someone from the planet, but it's very much a, like, handpicked by the Empire. So let's talk about episode four, uh, Fighter Fight. 
uh, which I think is kind of an a interesting pun because it's supposed to sound like fight or flight, uh, yep. fight or flight. Um, so the plot is the episode focuses heavily on Ezra Bridger and Gerizeb Aurelius, who are sent on a supply run after constantly arguing with one another up aboard the Ghost. During their mission, they steal an Imperial TIE fighter, uh, as it's actually called an Imperial TIE slash IN Space Superiority Starfighter, <laughs> and are ordered by Hera and Kanan to return to the Ghost. Along the way, they discover that a family of farmers, including Bridger's old friend Morad Sumar, have been arrested by the enemy. The two rebels rescue the farmers and fight the Imperials. After hiding the TIE fighter, they return to the ghost, having become better friends for the experience. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Friendship. Yeah. Um, I like that this episode picks up right where the previous episode left, left off, mm-hmm. but still remains its own isolated story. Yeah. that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's fun. I think in some ways this is kind of the least impactful of the five episodes of the three episodes we're talking about today. But it's fun, you know, and it's a fun little kind of buddy cop. But uh, it's a fun little buddy show, you know. It's mm. the two of them getting to have some shared experiences, getting to connect with little each other, um, and and also kind of showing that they're like Zeb feels much more adult. But you know, we don't know how these species work, and he, him, Ezra, and Chopper are really the kids, you know, and yeah. Hera and um, Kanan are mom and dad. And I like kind of establishing that that aspect of it. Yeah, like Zeb's the, Zeb feels like the older brother who maybe like has rooms in the basement, but and he's got like a bit of authority. But yeah, I mean, like I think he, uh, Hera and uh, Kanan even say something like, oh, it's nice that the kids are gone. It's like, it's quiet now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think I wrote my I wrote in my notes. Chopper is a talented toddler who loves mischief. Like Delightful. he just is. There's oh, a clear it. like, Zeb's the older brother, Ezra's the middle, and Chopper's the youngest brother. Yeah, or whatever gender he is. <laughs> yeah, Chopper's the youngest sibling. Sabine mm-hmm. is like I don't know, maybe a cousin who comes and stays with him for the holidays. Yeah. Yeah, I I did also like you know because again they're they're not making a big deal of it, but. Ezra clearly trying to impress Sabine and Sabine having no interest in it. It was just <laughs> yep. like a fun little dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to see some of Sabine's art, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. like Zeb and Ezra are fighting over, I mean, Zeb's obviously real upset about Lasat and being reminded of that and his interactions with Callus earlier. Uh, and Ezra is all like, I saved your life. You owe me everything. Sometimes, like, you'd have to be my butler, right? Mm-hmm. And Zeb is not in the mood for that. <laughs> but... Well, yeah, and he also, they also have to be bunkmates, mm-hmm. which this used to be just Zeb's room, so he's not happy about that. And he just wants some, like, alone time, but he can't, well, yeah, he can and does lock Ezra out of his room, but Ezra, you know, takes offense to that. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, Chopper... Decides now is a perfect time for a prank. Uh, and, yeah, pranks it so that, what, Ezra falls on Zeb? Yeah, he removes the bolts, the bolts from, from the, the bunk, bunk bed. Yeah, that's it. And so when Ezra mm-hmm. jumps on his bed, it falls down on top of Zeb. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. I, I mean, I like the... <laughs> so, yeah. Tara sends them on a bit of a wild goose chase, asking them to get a Maluran fruit, which is really extraordinarily rare to find on the mm-hmm. side. Um, Lothal. Lothal. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> it's a little uh, confusing. They gave us two, two syllable start names starting with L. Yeah. And Kanan and Callus. I, I'm going to get those two mixed up at some point. Just you wait. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's tropes that we've seen before, but it's still, it still feels really fun and fresh in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy this episode a lot and it continues my, um, the, I, I like the way that they use TIE fighters in these episodes where it's actually like a legitimate military weapon. <clears throat> right. And, and cause, can cause some damage um, as opposed to just like the pew pew like space battles where they constantly get shot down and, are, are, and look unimpressive. Um, mm-hmm. when, when Zeb and Ezra steal the TIE fighter in this episode, it feels like a real thing. Like they've mm-hmm. stolen an actual military thing. Right. Well, it does, except for the one objection that I have, and I've always kind of gotten the sense, but this is where it's fully confirmed for us. Like, when I think of spaceships, I think of, like, sensors and displays and things like that. <laughs> Here, 
we it is made abundantly clear that the glass in front of a pilot in like a an X wing and in a Tie fighter and probably therefore also an X wing or an A wing or whatever is just a glass window like a fighter pilot would have, mm-hmm. and like when you when they get a whole bunch of gunk on the front of their window, they can't see out of it, and like. Actually, even fighter pilots in a, in the world today have, like, better radar and stuff that they do here. Um, it, it's just funny to me sometimes how low-tech part of this high-tech world can be. Yeah. And I definitely had the, like, how is it that, like, a TIE fighter doesn't have windshield wipers? Like, come <laughs> well, on. Yeah, there's you know? that. Well, also, but, I mean, like, we, it's like the MacGuffin to set up Ezra using the Force to get around an right. obstacle you can't see. But, I right. mean, it's also, like... This was their first time in a TIE fighter. Maybe there is a fancy display and they just don't know how to bring it up. But yeah. I, but, but even, you know, you mentioned radar. I don't I don't know that radar is that good that it can just tell you that there is a mountain in front of you. Like, or a mm-hmm. building in front of you, right? Like, radar is a very specific device that you, you use to mostly to detect other metallic objects, right? Like, other fighters. Right. And even, like, how much stuff, I guess, meteors. I was going to say, how much stuff do you expect to be in your way if you're mostly flying through space? But mm-hmm. there's, there's junk. There's junk all but, up in there. But also, maybe yeah. this explains why TIE fighters crash so much. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That could well be it. I thought you were going to say, why doesn't the hatch lock? Because, uh, yeah, there's an Imperial agent in there. And oh, Zeb yeah. just goes and, like, opens the door and is like, hello, this is my TIE fighter now. I mean, yep. it's, it's like the ATST in Return of the Jedi. Like, the Ewoks yeah. just open it up and get inside. Like, lock your doors. <laughs> or, or lock it, or maybe don't leave the key and the ignition yeah. all the time. Also like, <laughs> Also a good plan. Like... There's an awful lot of ships that get stolen and like, you know, um, anyway, I think that's about all I had for that episode. Any other, um, is the fruit kind of makes for a fun little joke running through it. Um, any other kind of uh, points you want to make about this episode or should we go on to the third? Um, I wanted to quickly talk about, uh, the, the friend of Ezra's parents, mm-hmm. the farmer, oh, yeah. Sumar, um, and his wife and their farmhand. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, they, they, they run into him at the market while looking for, other items, like the the melee run fruit, and then also for realsies items that they need. Um, and, and yeah, we find out that he's a friend of Ezra's parents, not necessarily Ezra. So we get like a little hint that, okay, like Ezra's parents were around, they're not anymore, and just get to go a little bit into that. And then um, they get taken by the Empire because the empire wants the land of the, the Sumar's farm. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm not selling it to you. And they're like, Oh, we're not buying it anymore. And like, just kidnap them basically. Um, and then, yeah, they use the tie fighter in, in what starts a, 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 like a beautiful trope of dress up like the bad guys and pretend you're one of them. They use the tie fighter and like give an order to release the prisoners. The empire doesn't buy it. And then they go and mm-hmm. save them. And I think this idea of like Ezra no longer looking out, for only Ezra is is starting to form as well, which is nice. Mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, I think it, it's one more... It, it's A, it's just kind of reminding a tie-in that, like, Ezra had a family here and that the Imperial Alliance, like, the, the Imperial, like, impact is beginning to be felt by all these people in all these different places. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that he's a little more willing to kind of step up. And, and also just nice to see him and Zeb forming the kind of connection that makes their relationship one that seems like antagonism of siblings instead of just two people who don't like each other yes yeah yeah yeah. and big picture like for this entire tv show i like mm-hmm. the way that they sprinkle crumbs in because like yeah. sarah mm-hmm. mentioning like that they knew ezra's parents like no spoilers about it but that this is the kind of crumb that is going to pay off later mm-hmm. yeah. there's like I think it's a shocking true. amount of crumbs yeah. in this the, episode in the previous episode yeah. the connection between uh, Zeb and Callus over the the genocide of Lasat is going to pay off. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's going to get very interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's another fun thing. All three of these episodes, I think there's a lot of little things that kind of just sprinkle through like that. Yeah, I, and I mean, like, I'm just thinking, like, is it the whole series? Like, they they, I like the way that they return to things that they had plans. They either had plans yeah. or like. Seemed inconsequential, but it's like, okay, we remember from earlier in this episode, like, a lot of, not just Star Wars shows, like, a lot of just TV shows in general, I find, will 
do something in one episode and like contradict it a couple mm. seasons later and it's mm-hmm. just a little thing and so like it's not a huge deal but i like that like rebels is being so conscious of yeah what's come before like the episodes that have come before and like really building off of it and not trying to yeah. put in any and, and building off of connections to other star wars franchises mm-hmm. right to and, you know having bale be a part of this early on right that's and, and doing and doing stuff that also will be set up for things far into the future you know it, it feels very much like this is oh, yeah it, it feels to me like i think this was accurate I kind of got the sense sometimes that Clone Wars was kind of seen as like the redheaded stepchild at Lucasfilms, and I say that as a redheaded stepchild. <laughs> but you know, it's just kind of like, okay, we're going to make that show for kids, and we'll throw in some stuff, but like, it's not Star Wars quite the same. I don't think there's any of that with Rebels. I think it's very clear that like all the thinking about whatever stories we're going to tell in Star Wars in general, Rebels is a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the, like without really knowing the personnel dynamics, you know, within. The Lucas Studios, right? Mm-hmm. Dave Filoni was part of Clone Wars and Rebels. It it felt like Clone Wars was just like them giving him something and letting him do stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Rebels, it's like, okay, this is going to be a part of something bigger. Like, please come up with plans and like set stuff up. Yeah. And, and yeah, like it's, you know, The Mandalorian, there are connections to that show. It's going to be, it's going to be great the next couple of years so if you're here now stay with us we will tell you all about rebels <laughs> and, and these connections mm-hmm. yeah. it's definitely a good ride i think we're doing I, we're doing spoiler free from here on yeah. out as i mean like it's very late to be saying that right now but um yeah, yeah we'll, that's like the we're, we're, we'll wrap up a spoiler we'll have a, a short spoiler section at the end of this because okay. there's definitely some stuff we're not saying cool, cool, cool. um all right well, so let's do episode five then oh, rise rise of the old masters mm. The episode features Ezra Bridger. Eh. The episode features Ezra Bridger continuing his Jedi training with Kane and Jarrus, who worries he's not a good teacher for Bridger. The rebels learn that Jedi Master Luma- Luminaria Unduli survived the destruction of the Jedi Order and attempts to rescue her from the spire on Sturgeon Prime. However, they soon discover that it's a trap set by the Grand Inquisitor and that Undali died with the Jedi Order. The rebels escape, and Jarrus learns that he can be a good teacher for Bridger despite his previous doubts. Um, I will also say that everyone in this episode would have had a much better time if they could just communicate directly. What? Um, yeah, it's... it's being jammed. I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, what do you all think of this episode? This episode is great. Yes. This is my, one of my favorites early on for a lot of reasons. Um, there are many connections to other Star Wars things going on here. Stygian Prime... Uh, in the comic books, is a planet where Maul was imprisoned. Uh, mm. you know, during the Clone Wars, he had the fight with um, Palpatine and was captured. And this is actually where he is imprisoned after that and then escapes from. So fun, fun Maul connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see a lot about Unduli in Clone Wars. She's just yeah. a minor character, but yeah, like, bringing uh, her back is, I think... Luminar Unduli was one of the Jedi Masters. She was actually the Jedi Master of um, yeah yeah who was a big and and that was such a nice little reference you know they could have just picked some random jedi we'd never heard of before but they made it one who we have an emotional connection to from the clone wars yeah and i think especially surrounding this idea of kanan being a good teacher right because like he's mm-hmm. like oh i'm gonna give you to Unduli. she's the best she's gonna be a super duper great teacher even though like her padawan betrayed the jedi order right. um Right and like <clears throat> it caused Ahsoka to leave the Jedi, basically. Like, mm-hmm. um, so so the idea of Luminara being a great teacher is kind of questionable, and I think it's just yeah. like more reflective of Kanan's self doubt than it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Kanan is not a very good teacher no. because at the beginning of this, they're training Ezra on top of the ghost while it's flying like very high up. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, he falls off and Kanan has to use the force to lift him back up and, and like, barely does so before he runs out of, of juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just like, why are you, why are you training oh, on yeah. top of your ship so high? The, there was one moment that I thought perfectly captured, like, the bad teaching that's <laughs> happening here, which is where Kanan is just berating Ezra and telling him all the things he's doing wrong. 
And then he kind of caps it off by saying, and you're so full of self-doubt. Yeah. Like, A, as you were just saying, uh, Sarah, Kanan has a lot of self-doubt himself. And so I think there's some projection here. But also, like, you just told him all the reasons he's terrible. Of course he has self-doubt, you idiot. Like, Yeah. But it's also understandable because... Of course. Kanan is just, you know, like, I think mid-20s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mid to late-20s, yeah. Yeah. And he never finished his own jedi training like based on his age you know he's right. not an actual jedi even a knight or a master right mm-hmm. so it's similar to the way luke you know in legends always has doubts about his ability to train future jedi because he right. his, his own experience of being trained was so bereft you know he got right. like a week on dagobah with yoda and I will say also referencing that, uh, and this is kind of jumping ahead in the episode, but it's worth kind of is one of the things I most wanted to talk about. I love that the episode starts with Kanan kind of making fun of the old idea from Yoda of do or do not, there is no try. Because I hate that idea. I think like trying is super important. And I love that they start with that, but that at the end, and, and they start with them kind of la- la- making fun of it. But then the end is Kanan saying, the problem is that I was trying to be your teacher. I won't do that anymore. I will just be your teacher. And like, I, I get from the certain point of view of the mindfulness of it where it's coming from. But I was I was definitely disappointed that he, by the end, is like back on board with Yoda instead of recognizing like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a dumb idea. And we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, like it's good for a motivational poster. But by The mm-hmm. Last Jedi, even Yoda had kind of like gone against his own sayings. Because yeah. when he's talking to Luke as, as a ghost, he tells Luke, you know, that failure is what, you know, we can teach our students the most. Like, they are, right. what, we, they, they are what we grow beyond or something like yeah. that, right? We, we are what they grow we, beyond. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I... <laughs> so I like, I like that they introduce it as, like, Kanan tells, you know, tells Ezra, do or do not, there is no try. And Ezra asks, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> And Kanan just fesses up like, I don't know, it's just something that my teacher said. I honestly have no idea. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, huh? And then um, he tells, when they're, when they're going into this mission to go rescue Luminara, he's like, try not to mess it up or something to that effect. And he goes, oh, mm-hmm. there was no try. Yeah. And that's like a great point to just say like, okay, don't mess it up, right? Like that's, yeah. that's what do or do not, there is no try means. Okay. And like, I get what you guys are saying with like, putting in an effort is important, but I think it is the sort of motivational poster of believe in yourself. Don't, don't try to do something, do something. If you fail, that's fine. But just this idea of like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to try instead of like, oh, well, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I guess this is, it kind of gets to the idea of why, like, you know, all of our brains are different and there's never going to be one motivational phrase that works (laughs) for everyone. Because for like, I, I can totally see why that would be motivation. For me, what that would tell me is that anything that isn't complete success is failure. And that would tell me to never try, to never do it because I can't do it. Like, Oh, sure. Because I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, if you tell me that what is important is that I try and if I do my best and then I don't need to be angry at myself if I don't get to a certain point because at least I did my best and I can always do better tomorrow. Like that's how I would be motivated. You know, Yoda would not work for me. Uh, well, but yeah, but you're right. I think it definitely is a, it can work for some, some perspectives to be sure. I don't even, yeah. I mean, I, I get, I totally get what you're saying. I definitely am like paralyzed by that a lot of the time. And it's taken mm-hmm. like, uh, there was like a great thing I read, which is like, if you, instead of like, if you're going to do something, do it right. It's like, if you're going to, something worth doing is worth doing poorly which is like a riff yeah. on something worth doing is worth doing right um which yeah has taken me forever because i was the same like if i can't completely finish if i can't do it correctly i'm just gonna not do it there and i'm gonna fail this entire class because i didn't turn in the term paper because it's not going to be the world's best term paper situations which i've done multiple times but yeah i mean i i, I totally get why this is like a jedi phrase i guess that's where i'm but if you look beyond the poster phrase itself, mm-hmm. like the context of the lesson on Dagobah, um, Luke, the, the X-Wing, Luke's X-Wing falls into the bog, 
And Yoda's like, use the force to lift it up. And he's like, I guess I'll try. Mm -hmm. And that's when Yoda says a thing because he recognizes that Luke's try in his heart. He's already decided he's not going to be able to do it. Right. And so he says, do or do not. There is no try to show him like, you've already decided you're going to fail. Like you have to decide you're, you're going to succeed. And then when Yoda shows him and lifts the X-wing up and Luke says, I don't believe it. Then Yoda that says, is, that is why you failed, because you didn't believe. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like the, bigger, the bigger lesson has more context. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I think one of the things that I'm most interested in, and we're going to kind of re- keep track of going forward, is the extent to which Kanan is or is not, like, honoring the original Jedi teachings and what mm-hmm. he's teaching Ezra. Because we already talked about, like, he has, a hu- he has a deep attachment to Hera in a way that the Jedi would have said is no bueno. Um, you know, and I think, it's, and especially because I think, I think you're absolutely right, um, Riki, that, and, and both of you, there is a very important lesson there. I, I guess part of why I push back against it so much is the idea of you just have to never doubt yourself. You have to be utterly sure you would do it. Kind of like Obi-Wan is utterly sure he could teach Anakin, you know, or like so many the of the problems Jedi, with the yeah. Jedi. Yeah. The, the, the fall of the Jedi was in large part caused by their own hubris and their own feeling of like, we don't need to try. We know we can do this and not question it. And so, yeah, it, it, it's only go round and round about, but I just think it's, it's, I, I hated it, but I think especially as we talk about it more, I love it because it's just, yeah, this is the thing that Kanan was taught. And of course he's going to fall back on it even, and maybe he found some ways it makes sense, but also some ways it still doesn't. And we'll just keep wrestling with that as we go forward. Yeah. I, and I, I totally get what you're saying. And I agree that like boiling, <laughs> boiling it down to one motivational poster phrase is not good. Like, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the Jedi Order was for such a long, long time. Was, like, we're this one thing. We've we've distilled it down to the one essential thing that we're all going to do. And it's very simple and bite-sized and we understand it. And then it's like, well, what about all these corner cases? What about all these situations? What about all the context to this? It's like, no, 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 no. No attachment. Attachment yeah. means bad, right? Hate leads to anger. Like, like all that... Mm-hmm stuff where like if the jedi would have just like you said had less hubris like mm-hmm. and yeah. taken a step back and realized okay there are multiple <laughs> different ways to do things you, you remember what uh you know obi-wan says to anakin only a sith speaks in absolutes yes <laughs> do or do not phrase. there is no try yeah but, yeah right yeah, but do or do not is also an absolutist phrase mm-hmm. there is no atta- there are no attachments there's only peace also an absolutist phrase. No posters. Yeah. Uh, I, moving on to something different, I also thought that what they did with Luminara was just kind of one more way of setting the tone for this whole show because it was dark. Oh, yeah. Like having us be excited, having them be excited that she might still be alive and then getting to see her and then realize it's just kind of like a for, like a ghost projection done by the Inquisitor in some way as part of a trap and that this has worked before. Um, I, I just found it haunting. You know, and like, I, mean, I know that that's not just Star Wars. Like, the YA of today is a lot more intense than the YA when I was a kid. And I'm sure every generation says that. And it's not a bad thing. I think it's great. Um, but it's nice to see, you know, Rebels kind of keeping up with that. Yeah, well, I think just like looking at the fact that Rebels is theoretically, like, it's rated lower than Clone Wars, if I believe. Um, like, it's, I think it's YA and then Clone Wars is rated. I might just be confusing Canadian ratings. So, there's the Holonet transmission where the Empire's like, we're awesome. And then right. it's interrupted by Senator Gal Travis, who's like a rebellious senator. He's like, Luminara's still alive. We have to save her. And then it cuts back to the original Imperial Hollow News. And it ends with this very interesting phrase um, where they say, like, the successful liberation of a planet by initiative um, base Delta Zero. And I was really curious about this because it's like, what does that mean? So strap yourselves in. Base Delta Zero is actually the code name for basically the elimination of a population planetary population via orbital bombardment from star destroyers so they are advertising it as the liberation of the planet when they're actually saying is that they destroy this planet you know pre pre pre-death star 
mm-hmm. which makes you wonder, like, because it because it only takes a couple of star destroyers to do this. Like, why do you need a Death Star <laughs> if a couple of star destroyers can can level a planet with their turbo lasers? The Death Star looks cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a, like the difference between like eradicating sentient life on the planet versus literally destroying the planet, but like the rocks don't care either way, you know. <laughs> And yeah. This, it, it, good. Well, I was gonna say that this phrase is actually gonna come up a couple more times, like not necessarily like forefront, like similar similar to this in the background that they're gonna mention mm-hmm. it. And, and I think, like we've talked about in the past, uh, especially with Clone Wars, the idea of propaganda. And this to me is like the quintessential military propaganda of the mm-hmm. Empire is that they destroyed a population. But they're like, yeah. yay, us, like, we helped these people. And, and that's the story that they are telling to the galaxy. Right. And that's, again, not made up. Like, language like that was used by us in Vietnam. It's always been used by, by conquering or oppressing peoples, you know? I think that's, it, it, it's really relevant there. Uh, is there anything else from this episode we wanted to, to touch on? Or should we jump into the spoiler section before we wrap up for the day? I mean, can we talk about the Grand Inquisitor? And how oh, yeah. amazing the plan. of a character and villain he is in this episode. Just the, the, like the way that he's drawn and presented is so menacing. And then like mm-hmm. when he reveals his lightsaber, like this mm-hmm. is the first time we see the Grand Inquisitor's lightsaber. It is a a, a disc, I guess, is what I would call mm-hmm. it. And yeah, it's like it's, it's a rotating thing, and so we can make the whole yeah, thing spin so it's, around. It's, yeah. It's two bladed, but unlike Maul, it's like like a vi- it's still just a small hilt that you can hold in one hand, and the two blades come out of both sides, and then it starts spinning, mm-hmm. and he's just like spinning it in front of him, kind of like a shield, yeah, and advancing, it's and it's just terrifying. I love that he never runs after oh. Kanan and Ezra; like he's only ever- he's walking quickly towards them, which is extra extra menacing yeah you compared it to um resident evil yeah mr mr x mr x yeah who is like i don't know if you're familiar with the resident evil games just follows you at a set pace and like while you do Mm -hmm. your thing he's like going he's always walking and if he catches you he's invincible yeah yeah I, I haven't seen that one, but I definitely have seen I mean, that I think that's a little bit of a trope, but not a bad one, of just like the villain who is so confident mm-hmm. that he's just gonna they're gonna just stride after you because they know they'll catch you. I, I also think it's fun that um there was an ad that was done by Tom Hiddleston and a bunch of other um British actors who often play villains about like <laughs> how Americans just go crazy for villains with British accents. And I, I don't know the exact Inquisitor's accent. I think it's British, maybe it's like Australian or something like that, but it's definitely it just adds to the menace of that character, you know? And <laughs> oh, it, yeah. it it just makes him feel like he's on just such a different level than Kanan and Ezra. And the the voice actor, I believe, Jason Isaac or Isaacs, has done a lot of voice oh, acting yeah. work. He's been like Lex Luthor mm-hmm. in, in one of the mm-hmm. movies and like Sinestro in another. So he has a very large catalog of um, villains. And, and if it's Jason Isaacs, live action folks will know him as Lucius Malfoy from oh, okay. Harry Potter, yeah, yeah. among other things, as well as um, the first captain of the uh, Discovery in Star Trek, or one of the captains of Discovery in Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. where he also yes. plays a kind of very interesting, like morally, uh, morally interesting character. Um, yeah, no, thank you definitely for bringing that one up. Uh, and I think the Inquisitor is a char- another character that we're really excited to see as we go forward. And the, the way that he like is not only attacking Ezra and Kanan with his lightsaber and the Force, but also with his words and his ideas. Mm-hmm. He's trying to drive them to despair. He's trying to turn them to the dark side. It, it's just a great scene. Yeah, really true, really true. And And especially it's nice to have, like, it just kind of introduces this idea for both Ezra and Kanan of, like, the, the Jedi are not on equal footing to the Sith. Mm-hmm. Like, they are just, you are on the run, you are hiding, and even just this one person is just so overwhelming to you that it just sets up just how much they're hunted in this really great way. Yeah, well, and, like, Ezra and Kanan are sharing one lightsaber between them, whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the Inquisitor has a double-bladed weapon, right? Yeah, this this highlighting, like you were saying, this unequal footing. Yeah. 
So I, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Why don't we do like a, I'm going to do a quick ending session though for anybody who wants to hear the spoiler section. We'll go into that in just a few minutes. Uh, as always, Ricky and Sarah, thank you all so much for being a part of this. People want to follow you and the stuff you're doing or even if they have some holiday shopping to do as they realize that some shipping containers are not going to arrive on time. I think <laughs> one of you might have some ideas for that. Uh, where can they find your stuff? Uh, okay, well, I'll, I guess I'll go first since, uh, yeah, um, I, I, my Etsy store is live again. Uh, it's Hayashi Ceramics. So if you search like Etsy.com slash shop slash Hayashi Ceramics, uh, I've got some little ceramic pumpkins on there. Tis the spooky season. Uh, and I'll be having some other giftable things closer to uh, winter holidays. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I also have an Instagram page, Sarah Hayashi Art. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I have nothing nice. to sell except my ideas. Winning personality. <laughs> <laughs> but you can follow me on Twitter at Wikipedia Go, where I talk about Pokemon Go. I'm Look, I feel list. like I feel like you're trying hard to sell people on Pokemon, and you don't quite have me buying, but I can see why some other people would be convinced. <laughs> well, and of course, uh, you can find more about my podcasts, uh, both this one, Superhero Ethics, as well as the uh, Marvel Movie Minute, where we're covering Thor, all at theethicalpanda.com. We always want feedback. You can send that in to The Ethical Panda on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com, or of course, go to the website, again, ethicalpanda.com, and just fill out the contact form there. Love feedback. We always want to know what you're thinking. How do you feel about these characters? It can be spoiler or not spoiler, up to you. Uh, Let us know what you think. And of course, this is just one of many podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Please check all of them out. Also want to give a quick note that I'm going to be on... Uh, my honeymoon uh, next week. We are uh, in just a few minutes uh, or later today, Ricky and Sarah and I are going to record a second episode. So I will have an episode during my honeymoon week to go up. I may not have an episode for the week after. We're not sure yet, but so if there is a one episode break, don't worry, we'll be coming back. I'm just enjoying a little bit of time off. Um, but uh, so please check out all those great things. Check out um, Ricky and Sarah's stuff. And if you don't want to hear the spoilers, then thank you so much for being a part of this. And for everybody who does want to hear spoilers, we're going to start that in three, two, one, oh man, is it hard to remember just how awful Callus was. Callus was. I know, I know. I love his redemption so much. Mm-hmm. But wow, he was not a good dude. But I think this really makes the payoff of Zeb taking him to see the like Lasat outpost at the end mm-hmm. really pay off. Because like the idea of like, oh, I destroyed them, and then like, oh, okay. I didn't destroy all of them. There is this like really considerably large outpost that made it out. Right. Right. Pay off a little nicer, but yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I was just listening to another podcast that I've become a huge fan of. They're definitely recommend to both you two and to fans. It's called Rue Palps pod race. Like it's a play on RuPaul's drag race, but it's (laughs) Rue Palp as in Palpatine. And then yeah. pod race. And it, it's basically, it's five queer, huge Star Wars nerds talking about different Star Wars stuff. And uh, on this most recent episode, they, they talk a lot about the Kanan-Zeb um, relationship. I'm sorry, the... the yeah. yeah uh, you did yeah, it. You Cal- did the thing I said I was going to do. <laughs> I know. Kalazeb, as they refer, as I think it's been referred to a lot in the Slash idea. Uh, and yeah, they talk about like just how much of a journey it is and how... It's again, I think, a real credit to the show is that even though I'm like reminded of just how evil he was, I do think it's earned. You know, like I, one of my biggest frustrations is I'm like Ben Solo or something like that, where I just don't feel the redemption is earned. And here it really, really is. Mm-hmm. But I think that even here that they are setting it up to some degree. So the, the bow rifle that Callus is using. I believe the mm-hmm. specific phrase he uses is that it was given to me by a, a royal guardsman, right? When right. when Zeb says only royal guardsman carries a bow rifle. And, I mean, given to him or taken? Well, well the, I think he says given, and the implication is that like I murdered this guy. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but but the I, I just looked it up real quick. There's like a a right, I guess, like a dying right for the the Lasat warrior. That, mm. that you do give your weapon to the person who defeated you in, in honorable combat. So, like, it's presented menacingly, just like, I took this from a dead royal guardsman, right? But but even here, like, the way that he phrased it, I think is still setting up this future where 
we learn a little bit more about Callus and that he oh yeah perhaps like did have respect for their their culture in a weird way well, like the low-key thrawn school of thought yeah. of like study mm-hmm. the art learn the folks but yeah 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 I, I don't remember that but it's entirely possible and so that'll be really exciting to, to see as we come to that uh what other things kind of stood out for you in from a spoiler perspective uh, Gal Travis, <laughs> which hopefully we cut out of the regular. Uh-huh. Sorry for all uh, the editing, Matthew. The the senator who interrupts the Imperial Hollow News program is actually an Imperial agent who yep. is basically setting people up because this is like very sus, right? Like Gal Travis is like Luminar is still alive, like go rescue her. It's like nope, it was a trap. And right. I think we're in this episode they they mask it in a way that's like, oh, the Inquisitor, like, tricked Travis. Okay. But once you know that, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy was totally in on it all along. Yeah, I think I, so (laughs) part of the wonderful editing Matthew had to do is me just saying that they outed him in this episode, which, thanks for bringing it up that they don't. Uh, They they end Mm -hmm. up meeting with uh, Gal Travis later. But yeah, when the Inquisitor says, like, We've been luring people in for a long time. This is our go-to yeah. trap. I think either, like, I knew he was bad already and my mind went there, or, like, I think in the initial watch-through, I was like, oh, well, the interrupty guy is bad. Because it yeah. was, like, again, like, very convenient timing. And also, how has the em- I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Empire is locking down its broadcast isn't top priority. But, like, the fact that these broadcasts keep going out and he keeps interrupting is yeah like mm-hmm. you said highly sus yeah yeah for me like I mean, rewatching it with the knowledge the part that didn't make sense to me was that this guy could still be a senator yeah well and i know in a, in the next ec- in episodes that we're going to watch uh for the next episode he refers to himself as a senator in exile well, he, so i think, I think the think idea is that he was elected to his position yeah. And he still officially holds it, but he hasn't, like, or maybe, like, he still claims it, but I I, he, I don't think he, he's definitely not going to Senate meetings okay. or anything like that. I think he yeah. refers to himself as Senator as exile in this, this right. transmission, too. But yes, we'll yeah. hold new elections, then. Hold new elections. Elect yeah. a new senator. Yeah. Well, there might be a new senator, and it's like the multi, multiple pope situation where they're all the senator. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting because, I mean, maybe I just was not uh, paying attention as much, but the first time, I definitely didn't pick up on the susness. Like, I got su- I, I was a little suspicious of the situation in general, but I remember being kind of surprised when we do find out that he's a double agent. So it's, it's just fun to watch it again and be like, oh, yeah, now that I know it, I can see how well they planted those seeds. But at the time, certainly I missed it. It's it's hard to get back into the mindset of, like, when I first watched this. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was, like, the tendency to think, like, I was more wise to the things than I was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I even this one, I still got excited. I was like, oh, Luminara is alive. Yay, she made it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, they they do set up that, like, you were talking about earlier, this, like, hope of, like, woohoo, we're not alone, here's another Jedi, this is so great, we're going to make friends and allies, we're going to band together, never lose hope. Like, there were rumors that she made it out alive, the rumors are true, hooray. Yeah, and then to get there, and, yeah, she's, she's not there, she's dead. You see her corpse is just, like so crushing and it was even crushing this time knowing that it was happening like mm-hmm. yeah and it's uh, like i i i think we were also talking earlier in the, the part that matthew cut out thank you uh uh-huh. that <laughs> like the ratings for this show like this this seemed a lot more cutting than anything that happened really in clone wars maybe at least a lot darker um yeah. and this is rated this has a lower rating age-wise mm-hmm. um than clone wars like yeah. this is rated y7 and clone wars is rated pg and it's just i don't know yeah it, yeah it, I think it's interesting things you have to watch for in terms of those ratings is the violence yeah like yeah. how do they depict the violence especially like lightsaber mm-hmm. fights like do do they actually show anyone like slicing someone which they did in clone mm-hmm. wars right like yeah. we we saw yeah. some of that and, and the ratings themselves make so little sense, oh, you know, yeah. in terms of like you can have like quite a lot of blood and gore, and as long as you don't say the f word, and there's only like a certain number of seconds that a nipple is on screen, yeah. you're fine. You know, it's just yeah. such idiocy. No, right, yeah, well, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, 
just has me uh, uh, all the more hyped up for our next episode. So uh, anything more you want to say before we wrap up spoilers? Yes. Well, one, one more thing <laughs> about the Inquisitor, which is uh, spoilery enough. Um, I love that in the duel, he immediately recognizes Kanan's master. He's like, while fighting, he's like, ah, this is the style of Master Depa Balaba. Mm-hmm. Balaba, I think. Um, um, and it's, as we learn later, like, that's true. And then we saw that in the beginning of the Bad Batch, mm-hmm. when, at the time, Caleb and his master were attacked by the clones in Order 66. So, just to... I don't know if, like, they knew that at the time they wrote this episode but it's just a fun little thing and again shows the menace of the inquisitor and his yeah. depth of knowledge definitely definitely and and that's something we're going to keep keep uh, track of in the next couple episodes so well as always Ricky Sierra thank you all so much to all of our fans thank you please let us know what you think of all this please check out these other podcasts and the other creations that we're all making and have a good day whoop, whoop, whoop.